when Pastor Josh asked me about speaking on Friday, he said he had been sick. And I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I will let you know. So yesterday, I thought, maybe I'd be okay. I texted him last night, and then today I think, I'm going to live. I survived. So turn in your Bibles with me to Mark 8. Begin with 34, Mark 38, 34, and 35. And while you're turning, turn kind of slow. <laughs> because I remembered something that I uh, meant to tell Pastor Josh. And um, I thought of it this afternoon. Uh, remember last Sunday night and last Sunday and even two weeks ago today, Pastor Josh said that the Lord had spoken to him the word shift. And he said last Sunday night that he believed that it was for this body, not the church in general, but it was for Christ Point Church. So I went home and I, I heard his voice as I was falling asleep saying that, the word shift. And I meant to time this week, but there's been a Christmas since then. <laughs> And so I remembered it today that what I heard when I heard him say, Christ Point Church in 2017 is going to experience a shift. Then I got a, I don't know, a revelation, an illumination, I don't know. But here's what I realized. That Christ Point Church is not sheetrock, it's not carpet, it's not stone. It's me and it's you. And so if Christ Point Church is, is here, and if God's going to take Christ Point Church 2017 and shift, if I am connected to Christ Point Church, what's going to happen? I'm going to shift. My life is going to shift. And not just that, I can be a conduit where it can follow me home touch my family, touch my kids, touch my grandbabies. It can touch my community, touch my neighbors. It doesn't stop in this sanctuary. I'm always looking for ministries to connect myself to. I just love anointed ministries. I want to hook in any way I can. And David's good to let me. We support many ministries. What better way to allow God to let that shift flow out of this building onto us than to partner and hook in and tether ourselves to this body. I'm looking for a shift in 2017 in my life because it's going to happen in Christ Point Church. Mark, the 8th chapter, and the 30. Fourth verse, it says, and when, this is the King James Version, and when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. Sorry. And whosoever, here's what he told me to do. And whosoever will lose your life for my sake and the gospel's, 
the same shall say. Now, Brother Walker told me he was coming to church tonight because he heard there was a really good-looking woman speaking. I'm going to ask him to stand and pray over the word. Oh, buddy. That's the only time I can get by with that. I'm going to speak for a little while tonight on the thought of spiritual amblyopia. Now, I was not familiar with the term amblyopia. In fact, it's kind of hard to get it out of my mouth. Many of you may have been. I didn't understand what it was until about two years ago, my daughter and son-in-law, they decided to pursue adoption because they had three precious little boys, but she had always wanted a little girl. And with every pregnancy, she thought it was her little girl, and it wasn't. So then Josh told her, said, now we could have a fourth, and if it's a boy, you got four boys. Or we could pursue the thought of adoption and see if we can get that girl. They gave, they, they weren't going to just make it indefinite, but they had a certain, in fact, it was a year. They, they wanted the Lord to bring this little girl into their home in 2014. Well, God had 16 days to spare. That baby was born in December. She was four days old when they called. She was five pounds, 13 ounces, had olive skin, full head of black hair, brown eyes, and perfect toes, just what I had ordered. And But there was a hitch. She had two older sisters, and they were already in emergency custody. That's why they took the baby from the hospital. And they told Kimmy, they said, there's a court date at the end of the year, but you need to know that if you want to take this baby, you're committing to her two older sisters too. Well, we couldn't resist. Of course we couldn't resist. She got the baby, and I, I determined, she determined, we all realized what God was doing was bathing her because this baby grabbed us all by the heart right around that tiny little finger. Then at, a couple of weeks later, in walked these two little girls. At the time, they were two and four. And Bella, the older one, she had a condition with her eye. She was blind in her right eye. And we didn't understand why. We didn't know all of the issues that may have occurred in her life. But as time went on, we found that when she was eight months old, for reasons we still don't know, she had cataracts on her eye, had surgery, and then the good eye was supposed to be covered. So the eye that had been blocked, because the cataracts had blocked her right eye, therefore it was dying. So when they did the cataract surgery, the adults in her life were instructed to patch the good eye. Are you confused yet? I've got... I've got a, a definition. Amblyopia is when the brain favors one eye over the other, failing to provide adequate stimulation to the ignored eye. So the, the visual brain cells can't mature normally. This little girl had had every adult in her life fail her up until the day that she slipped her little foot inside Kimmy's eye. And the only um, evidence that she has the blinded eye, other than maybe her 
from what she can see from her perspective or from what she can't see from her perspective is that the pupil in that eye is large, making it appear that she has one brown eye and one blue eye. Her last doctor's appointment, Kimmy and Josh have since adopted all three of them. I, you all know that. I just saw the bunny trail. I could just take off down, but I am resistant, and you can thank me later. But Kimmy and Josh adopted them since then, and, and uh, her last doctor's appointment, they were out in the waiting room. And Bella said, Mommy, when I go inside the doctor's office, will I come out and both of my eyes be blue? And Kimmy felt bad for her, but I said, I've got friends that have two different colored eyes. It's not that uncommon. She's going to be just fine. She wears glasses just as a, a precaution. But there was a time that her, her, the sight in each eye was blurred and overlapping. She still had enough vision in the bad eye that they could have saved it if the adults in her life would have taken the initiative to do so. And many of y'all know that a couple of three weeks ago, David and I got back from Israel. And many years ago, I had gone as a, a teenager, and I had an experience while I was there, which was the very reason that I have been obsessed all these years to go back. And I've had many people ask since then what was my favorite part, and I believe my real favorite part was that it meant to me just what I had always thought it would. I'm glad that all these years later, being there didn't disappoint. It meant exactly what I had believed it would. So when I was a teenager, my dad took a, a group to the Holy Land, and he took my brother and I along. We were both teenagers. And there wasn't that many tourists over there at the time. We stayed at a motel in Jerusalem, and the adults decided to go to bed, like sane people should, and us young people decided to go out exploring in Jerusalem. I have thought all these years, how did that happen? Because you'd think I was lying, but if you know me, you know I wasn't lying, because a pet peeve of mine is lying Christians. The next question I have is, how can you be a Christian or lie? However, I was in, uh, we, we were all running around Israel. It was, everything was closed. Everything was dim. The lights were, were, were dim in the streets. And my brother and two or three boys his age, I, I, I don't recall who all was with him. There was three with me. We were about a block and a half, I would say, away. He went running up ahead, and he turned around, and he was pointing off to his right, and he was saying something to us, and I couldn't hear him. He was too far away. And I made a mental note of where he was at. And I saw the opening in the tall buildings and the color of the buildings that they were. And I thought, when I get up there, I'm going to turn and look and see what it was he was pointing to. When we got up there, the buildings opened. And I looked off that direction, and I couldn't see. My eyes were, were not used to the dark yet. All I saw was a bunch of black. The girls I was with walked on ahead as I kind of sauntered up toward whatever he was pointing at. I had an experience. In that moment, I couldn't see what I was looking at, but I had this feeling that I'd been there before. It was such a familiar And as my eyes began to focus, I realized that I was alone in the dark, 
And as I walked away, it left such a mark on me. I, I wrote my second song. Didn't know it would be significant, but it has been all these years later. And then I couldn't figure out how that happened because afterwards, when I got home and life kicked in, I began to walk through my go-through, and I began to get into the Word, and I began to uh, realize I was right there where I had read so much about now, and I thought all these years that maybe I shouldn't have gone so young. I said it many times, don't ever take kids to the Holy Land. They'll just run around and don't know where they're at. And in fact, we didn't even have a tour guide. I mean, it was a bunch of preachers that we'd come up to these sites, and they'd all say, you know, I read about this and that there Bible. I, I don't even know if we, we didn't have anything organized. It was kind of a hoot, really. It was a Don Jones thing. That's my dad. So, so at that moment, as I was standing at Calvary, that was the one time that my spiritual vision and my natural vision collided. That's the only time in my life that it happened. Then all these years later, we went back, and as we got off the plane, I'd been up a good 24, 30 hours, and I'm too old to do that anymore. And I looked out, this, there, there was all this glass, and there was all these rolling hills. It was just before the sun went down. And I said to David, I said, see all those hills right out there beyond that glass? I said, Jesus looked, and he saw all those hills just like we're looking today. I was too tired to expound, but I was really thinking that he also looked down through the corridor of time, and he saw all of the, the electrical highline wires. He saw all of the cell phone towers. He saw me getting off that plane, and he saw what it would mean to me all these years later because he hadn't just walked back in the Bible times in those lands, but he had walked with me all through every facet of stepping stone in my life. And then I made it back, and I made it. I said, I have to figure out how I ended up at Calvary by myself. I figured it out. And I'm not going to put you through that, but I figured it out. So what, what, I, what the Bible says here in this, in this uh, verse of Scripture, he said, whosoever will come after me, if you want to fight spiritual amblyopia, you need to apply yourself. He didn't say, let me take you by the hand and let me get to your house and pack your baggage, all of your wounds, all of your brokenness, and hoist it up on your back. No. He just said, drop it. Come after me. If someone would have applied themselves with Bella, I looked it up. It's, it's not an easy task. The, the patches that you put on the eyes, they're not, not necessarily inexpensive. Children that age, they'll pull at them, they'll bite them, they'll want to take them off. You have to apply yourself. There's a reason that you have to do it yourself. He said for you to come after me. A, 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 a year or a year and a half ago, David and I were uh, making some trans transitions in our lives. And we were trying to find our path forward. What direction were we to take? And we decided on some things, but I couldn't see it. I thought, I just can't see how this will work. I kept saying, 
okay, but I just can't see it. I woke up one night in the middle of the night. It was 3.36 in the morning. And as I was looking at the clock, simultaneously I was thinking, I'm not supposed to see it. Because I was looking at it with my natural eye. And if I didn't apply myself and put a patch on my natural eye, then my spiritual eye was going to die. The sight and the vision of my spiritual eye was going to go blind. So I had to step out by faith and purposefully, intentionally patch the vision in my eye. Number two, you've got to deny yourself. My mother uh, died of, of cancer, and it was a it, it, it was as grueling a death as I could have imagined when she got her diagnosis. There was nothing. We didn't get any rest. It was, he didn't just fall asleep, he died peacefully. No, it was years of struggle, and then it was a hard, hard thing. Within two weeks, and so Kimmy and Josh got engaged, and so I was able to pour myself right into a wedding. And that was wonderful. It helped so much. But I went to a place that only I could go. It was unfamiliar territory. No one could do it for me. There wasn't any reason to talk about it. There wasn't anything that anybody could do to fix it. There was no one else that could taught me into thinking she's just in a better place. That body don't mean nothing. It was just her shell. I didn't like hearing that because that shell meant something to me. It was a low, dark time for me. And then Kimmy got married, and it was about three months later she called. And I answered the phone, and I just hear bawling. She was just crying. And I couldn't get it out of her heart. So I was having to play 20 questions, you know. I thought, well, is it, is it her dog? Is it Phoebe? Is Phoebe okay? And I was getting out of her that it wasn't that. When she was able to start talking, she said, my life has changed forever. So I said, what has happened? She said, I'm going to have a baby. And I thought, yeah, your life has changed forever. She, and then she starts giving me all these reasons why this is so bad. Josh had not got his degree, I guess it is. You, you do a, you do a internship, an internship off somewhere to get your degree finalized. Then they were going to get a position. They had it all planned out. They were going to get their position. Then they were going to start their family. This was so unexpected. And all the while she was talking, I was thinking, Oh, you, you, he hasn't got his degree yet. He hasn't. He hasn't done his internship yet. They were living in this little apartment. But I told myself, weigh your words. I knew whatever I said next was going to follow me the rest of my life. So I just let her talk. And then when she got done, I just so motherly said, it's going to be okay. There have been mothers down through time that, had babies that they didn't expect to have. And guess what? It's doable. They're portable. It'll work out just fine. I was so proud of myself. In the back of my mind, I was saying, I can't believe the timing. 
Then she starts perking up and starts talking about this baby girl that she wanted with every boy she had. When that baby boy came, he changed our world, as did every baby boy that ever came along after him, and the girls as well. But when she was about six months pregnant, Josh went to California to do his internship. The plan, since she was pregnant, instead of driving all those miles, the plan was for him to drive on out there. Then a couple of weeks later, she would fly out there. So he got out there first. She was staying at my house by now. He got out there first, and she was in the living room. It was just before I was going to bed. And she got a phone call, and she said, um, Josh called it. He really likes it in California. In fact, he asked me what I thought about pursuing a position out there and us moving to California. And I just smiled. That would be great. And I ever so calmly walked out of the room. I didn't miss a beat. I said goodnight. I walked out of the room. I went to the bedroom. The lights was off. David was asleep in bed, and I, I felt around. I found my Bible. I went to the bathroom. I turned on the light. I sat on the step that goes up into the tub, and I started to cry. And I said, God, we've got a problem. Me and you, we've got a problem. Because I need to talk to my mother. Nobody could fix anything like this for me but my mother. And you had this bright idea to take her on. And now, what are we going to do? I need to talk to my mother. The next best thing I had was my word. And I did the, the Bible roulette thing, and I don't advise it. But I was desperate. I did it. I laid it open and I read this verse right here. This verse, my eyes fell on, for whosoever will save his life shall lose. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. And I could hear my mother's voice, not just hear her voice, but I could see her the way she would lean over the kitchen table, and she would take her hand, and she would, she would rub it on that scripture, and she'd say, here's what she said to me, what I could hear in my head. She said, now see, listen to what he's saying to you. Here's what he's saying. He knows that she's your life. He knows that. She's your life. But here's what he's telling you. You need to deny yourself. Lay it down. Because here's the fact. You could walk right in there and pitch a fit. You could pitch yourself a little fit. You could tell her she's not running off to California with your grandbaby. And you could grab hold of that child until your knuckles turned white. But you know what you could have? You could have her living on the other side of the wall from you and her not speaking to you. If you want to hang on to her, you can still lose her. So my advice to you would be to deny yourself. Lay her down. Let it go. I did just that. I did it with bells on. She headed out to California, called a family member crying. She didn't make it. She didn't make it very long at all. So we need to deny ourselves. We need to 
apply ourselves and then deny yourself. And then third, you need to die to yourself. Now, uh, when Kimmy was eight months old, her, her dad and I, we were pastoring a church in Elkins, Arkansas, and he went to California for a three-week revival and he never came back. Now, that is just the short version, and I have a really long version I love to tell. But I'm going to spare you, and you can thank me later for that too, but it's really a good story. I mean, it, it, it devastated me. Absolutely devastated me. I had not known life outside of the ministry. I didn't know how to exist outside of the ministry. In fact, I didn't believe him. I mean, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off into details, but I just didn't believe him. I just, I just thought he'd be back. So, oh, I can't condense the story, so I'm going to move on. So I thought as I started this process with this baby girl that uh, holidays would be hard. And as it turns out, you would think Christmas would be hard, but no, it wasn't Christmas. It was the 4th of July, the craziest thing. The first 4th of July, I was still like in that hopeful stage. The divorce hadn't been filed yet. I didn't dream that he was actually going to file it. So I thought he would be back. He left in October. But by the 4th of July, I was still hopeful. And I would get distracted hearing the sounds of the popping and the crackling, but I would just remind myself, it's the 4th of July, no big deal. By the 2nd 4th of July, I was annoyed. I felt like America had some kind of nerve <laughs> to burst my sky full of brilliant, sparkling colors when my world was falling apart. I just, I was just aggravated. I hit the couch, put a pillow over my head. I survived the day by the 3rd, 4th of July. Now, I was sulking. I could not believe that God had not moved through me after three years. Oh, it was far longer than three years. It turned out altogether to be 14. If I would have known, if I'd had any idea that it was going to be that long, I I believe he was merciful for me to not see the future, as curious as I was about the future. But the third, fourth of July came around, and now I'm hearing the popping, crackling sounds of all of the partying that America is doing, going on. And with each sound, I'm imagining children running through a backyard as families are barbecuing and, and visiting and fellowshipping, and I was just mad. And I wasn't speaking. God and I, we, we were not speaking that day. I wasn't going to talk to him. I had the television on, and back then it was the PTL network, and it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. James Robertson was going off the air. And I was walking past the TV, and as he was going off the air, he asked his wife, Betty, he just said, Betty, pray for us as we close our program. And the TV was just about right here, and I heard her say, Father, thank you for dying on the cross for us. And in that moment, I whipped around, I looked at the TV, and with attitude, I said, of course you died for me. You could see beyond the tomb. And then I stopped, and I thought, what did I just do? Did I just smart off to God? Uh, all people? Am I in trouble? And I sat down. 
And I tried to process what I just said. And then I realized what I just said. But that's it. That's my answer to all of this. If I could die to it. During different aspects of it, there were different things that would bother me, like that half pot of coffee in the morning. There was times that half pot just really got me. Then supper time. I went through the phase where supper time was so bad. Then the night time when I was so alone. The house was so empty. And I sat there and I thought, if I could die and see beyond my tomb, after I die the death, that this flesh needs to die. If I had any idea the life that could spring forth once I died to this, that could be my answer. And the minute I started rationalizing that, I felt some kind of spiritual optic nerve kick in as it began to fire up light waves and electrical impulses that burled its way back to some supernatural cortex. What is that? Some kind of visual cortex back there. And it told me to get in touch with my inner man and said to not look at what I could see because I wasn't supposed to see it. I shouldn't see it if it, if I had a, some kind of a super telescope. I wasn't supposed to see in the natural. I was supposed to see in the spiritual because if we can see it, it's not faith. If we can see it, there's no need to see it in the spiritual realm. That's why I couldn't see it. I, I wrote a song, If I Could See Beyond My Tomb. I'd freely lay it down. A grain of wheat could never bloom until it dies and sits to sleep. If my eyes could somehow see. No, that's, that wasn't that line. Trust me, it's a great song. <laughs> if I could see beyond the tomb, I'd freely lay it down. A grain of wheat could never bloom until it dies and hits the ground. If I could look and reach for whom might be wandering in my sleep, like when he looked beyond his tomb. And he saw. Sean, if you'd go ahead and come. Uh, when I was in high school, I had myself a, a, a reputation. I was the Pentecostal girl in a jean skirt. And I'd been to so many schools, I, I didn't fit in. I, I had a hard time just all the way around. So when I finally got out of high school, it was like I'd been set free from prison or something, and I didn't want to ever look back. Years had passed. Well, no, no. There was this girl named Shirley Fraley, and I had married Kimmy's dad. We were holding a revival in Springfield, and she came in the back door one night, and it made me a nervous wreck. I was up on the piano, and I thought, why is she here? Why would she come? So after service, I was avoiding the back, and I saw that she was hanging around waiting for me. So I went back. I fell in line with several other people and got back to the foyer. And she asked me if I remembered her, and I said, yes, yes, you're, you're Shirley. She won 
best personality or something. And she, she, she was a wonderful girl. And she said, I just want you to know, she said, something you wrote in my yearbook made me come to the Lord. And I saw in the newspaper where you and your husband was going to be here in revival, and I wanted to come and find you. And I wanted to apologize to you for all we put you through in high school. And then she began to talk to those around me and, and tell specific details of that. And so years passed, and I never knew what become of her, what happened to her. And uh, about five or so years ago, a, a, a family funeral, there happened to be someone there that I went to high school with. I didn't know it, but my brother did. And uh, so when I began to visit with him, I, I found out where our choir teacher was. She was then teaching at Evangel College, and everyone loved her. I reconnected with her, met with her the next week. We talked for five hours, and, and of course, she's such a close friend today. But she told me then, she said, there's a class reunion coming up. She said, we, they have them every five years, and you're going to go. And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, you've got to go. I'll be there. I'll hold your hand through it. Well, the one thing that made me want to go was Shirley Frable. I wondered what ever happened to Shirley Frable. In all those years, I had wondered what had I written in her yearbook that would make her come to the Lord. So the time came, we went to the uh, class reunion, and I spotted her immediately, right off the bat. Went straight up to her. She was so precious. I introduced her to David. She had tears in her eyes when she said, she was one person in high school that really lived what she said. I, I, I thought it was, was just such a warm and, and wonderful night. Now, I never had any desire to go back, but we met then later, and we'd become close friends. I told her, I said, I got to know what was it that I wrote in your yearbook that would make you come to know the Lord. She told me that I had written something about her wonderful personality helping me to make it through those years. And I said, don't ever, in years to come, don't ever lose your vision of Jesus. She said, I read that over and over again because she loved her high school days and she would pull out her yearbook to reminisce often. And she would read through what everyone said. And every time she'd come to what I wrote, it puzzled her. And she thought, do I have a vision of Jesus? How do you get a vision of Jesus? And she said on the way to and from her home, she would pass this little Pentecostal church. And she decided to pull in one night on a Sunday night. And she said it scared her to death. She said one woman got up jumping around, and, and the whole floor was shaking. And she didn't know what to think, but she couldn't not go back. And then... She went up and gave her heart to the Lord. And she said, I finally had a vision of Jesus. She went to work at the uh, uh, gospel publishing house in Springfield. She still works there today, married, has a daughter that's active in, in the children's uh, church, at, at her church that she's gone to for all these years since. And I thought to myself, how do we combat spiritual amblyopia? 
you don't lose your vision. You just keep your eyes on what matters. And what matters isn't this. It isn't this. This doesn't matter. Stuff that will decay doesn't matter. Don't lose your vision of Jesus. Stand with me if you don't mind. And what I, what I think that I'd like for you to do, I don't want uh, to drag out the service, but if you would just find a place to pray, just turn around in your seat or come down front. If you would just reconnect with your vision of Jesus, remember what matters. It's not what you're looking at, but what you need to look at. Focus in on what really counts. Go ahead and find yourself a place to pray. Hallelujah.